And it's good to be here with you this morning to share from God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Now, I'm not going to cover everything in the chapter, the last story about the two blind men. I'm going to skip just for the sake of time. Um, it's important. Obviously, it's in God's Word, but I just to cover it, all of it would be a little bit too much. So I'm going to read a good portion, though, of this chapter. We'll start in verse 1, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. I'm going to read... Uh, quite a ways in and then we'll skip a little bit and we'll read a bit more matthew 20 and verse 1 says jesus is speaking he says for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard and when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day it's a day's wages he sent them into his vineyard and he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. When those came who were hired about the 11th hour, so they worked one hour a day, okay? They each, or they worked one hour, they worked one hour, they each received a denarius of the day's wage. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man as to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him up to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Just drop down to verse 24, verse 24. When the 10, so these are the other 10, okay? James and John, sons of Zebedee, their mom goes, asks this, the 10, verse 24, heard it. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. 
Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for so many things this morning, God. You are so good. You're such a good God. You are a faithful God. We thank you for the grace that every one of us stands in that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that there, is, there was nothing in us to merit your forgiveness, to merit salvation, to merit the relationship that we have with you. We thank you for the cross that we were singing about earlier, and that on that cross, the Son of Man came to lay down his life in sacrifice for each one of us, to bear our sin, our brokenness, our shame, everything that is wrong in our lives. He took all of it on himself on that cross, and he paid for it all. And he died in our place, and he rose from the dead just as we were singing a living, glorified Savior. And we just thank you so much for him this morning. And Father, we, we, we realize, or, or help us to realize, we do realize, we, we acknowledge it in our minds, but Father, that we would know in our hearts this morning that, that he alone is worthy and that everything that we have is just because of your grace, nothing that we have merited or earned. And so Father, guard our hearts against the kinds of things that can come in and uh, cause us to lose the perspective of Christ being the center of everything that we do. And, and so often, Lord, we are guilty. I am guilty, God, at times of getting my eyes on myself. And Father, we think of what we're going to look at now in a few minutes. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to all of us, whatever our need is, the way we need to hear this message this morning. I commit it into your hands, God, and I just ask that you would speak through your Holy Spirit. That's really all that matters this morning that your spirit would take your word and bring it into our hearts and make it real to us, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So I'm going to flip ahead here, and we'll start with the first slide. So we got this parable of the vineyard owner. Just, just to back up for a minute, go back to, uh, we're going to be right at chapter 20 and verse 1. This uh this comes out of the conversation that we talked about last week that Peter had with the Lord Jesus. You remember the, if you were here last week, we had the, uh, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and, and in that conversation, Jesus says to him, sell everything that you have, come and follow me. It's in verse 21. Uh, but before that, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And this idea of the treasure in heaven, you give up what you have and you're going to have a reward in heaven. And Peter picked up on that, he's hearing treasure in heaven, and he's going, ah, cha-ching, right? And he's going, you go to verse 27, and it says, and Peter answered him, and he says, see, we have left all and followed you, therefore, what shall we have? It's, it's like Peter's doing the calculation here. Here's this guy who comes along, this Johnny come lately, and he's going to give up everything, and he doesn't, right? We know he walked away. That's, that's the end of that story. But Peter's thinking to himself, if he's going to get treasure in heaven, what am I going to get? Like I left my fishing nets, I left my father standing there mending the nets, I walked away, and I'm following Jesus, 
And so he's thinking treasure, and it's that question, I didn't spend a lot of time on that last week, it's that question that leads to Jesus telling this parable. Because in the conversation, Jesus tells them there is going to be a reward. If you go to verse 29, chapter 19, verse 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Jesus says it's going to be well worth it. Whatever you have sacrificed for me, it is well worth it. So Jesus doesn't at this point kind of condemn Peter for what he says. He says, it's okay. Yeah, you will be rewarded you'll be rewarded. But then you come to verse 30. And at the end of this thing where Jesus talks about reward, he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. It's like there's a warning here. It's like it's maybe just a little bit of a tone change. And what Jesus is saying, it's okay, Peter, I'm going to take care of you. When you get to heaven, there's going to be reward. Don't worry about that. But be careful because many who are first will be last in the last verse. And then it leads into this parable. And, and it just follows right along. There's no chapter breaks when the gospel was written. So it'll just flow right out of that. Verse 30, chapter 19 into chapter 20 and verse 1, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven. And so it ties to that warning about many who are first will be last in the last verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And he goes on and he tells the parable. So so we have to think about Peter's motive in asking that question, what shall we have? And, and you know, I, I think I mentioned last week that we don't really know, right, what the motive of Peter was. But, but I have to think that with what Jesus says and how Jesus responds to that, telling this parable, that there's a little bit of a concern about where Peter's focus is, where his heart is, that maybe he's thinking a little bit too much about himself. That, that it's a little bit too much about the expectation that Peter had, because I'm serving you, Lord, then I'm expecting some blessing or some reward. There is a, a term that I think you'd be familiar with. We talk about entitlement or a sense of entitlement. And I wonder if there's just a little bit of that going on in Peter's heart here, the sense of entitlement. Be because I've done so much for you, Lord, and surely there's going to be a good reward for me. Now, again, we don't know all that's going on in Peter's heart, but I think the Lord is going to give Peter a heart check. Not this heart, like the physical heart that sometimes people have issues with, but we're talking about the center, the soul, the mind of Peter, his motivations, what is motivating him, the Lord is going to give him a heart check with this parable. So the landowner in the parable, just some basic details. I think we understand that's God, right? Don't think that's a difficult one. The laborers clearly that go into the vineyard at all those different times. They are servants of God. They're disciples. They are people like you and I who know Christ, who follow him, who seek to serve him. So, so that's who the laborers are. They are hired at various times. That's very clear in the parable. And, and so you got people in the morning. That would be 6 a.m. 6 a.m. They're going to start. The third hour is 9 a.m. The sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. The eleventh hour is 5 p.m. They're going to end their day at 6 p.m. It's going to be a 12-hour workday. And so, so you've got all these workers coming in at different times. You've got some that begin right at the beginning, and others come in all along the way. So some of them, obviously, worked longer and harder, right? There's a comment made in, in there as they're complaining about the burden and the heat of the day. 
And so some of them have carried that burden for most of the day, and, and they've labored longer. And yet at the end of the day, in the parable, they get exactly the same amount of pay, regardless of when they started. And, and you know, we, we kind of, when we, if you've read the parable and you know the story, you go, well, of course, that's a fair thing. <laughs> Let's, whoa, back up a minute here. How many of us, if you were in a situation like that, um, and, 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 you know, this guy came and, 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 you know, you worked the whole day and, and how about your job, right? If you have a job, how would that fly at your job? If you put in a 12 hour day and someone else puts in a one hour day and they get paid exactly the same as you don't tell me that that wouldn't bother you. And, and I think all of us can see that in a sense, there is something we look at on the surface and that we say, this isn't fair. This seems unjust. What is going on here because logically if we do more work we should be paid more that makes absolute sense we all have that idea if we were hiring someone we probably would be really conscious of that right well this person's work this much and this person's only work this much so i'm going to compensate this person a little bit more so we get that that's all very logical okay so peter in his mind is thinking a similar thing you know, here's this guy, as I said earlier, this rich young ruler coming along and he's going to join and maybe there's other people who are going to join Jesus at a later point. Peter's thinking, this is, I mean, I've been with you the whole time, Lord. I've been serving you faithfully the whole time. What shall we have? The focus is on me. And so Jesus tells this parable. Let's get into some of the principles that I think come out of this parable, what Jesus is trying to communicate here. So here, here's three things, at least three things that we can pull out of this Principles from the parable. Number one, God rewards as he sees fit, not as we see fit. I think the thing that is important, it's emphasized in, in the parable when you, when you come to verse 13, after the wages are paid and they're complaining, right, that they didn't get more. And you come to verse 13 and it says, and he answered, this is the landowner in the parable. One of them said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So, so that's the way it was, right? When they came in the morning and they agreed to work for him, that's what they were going to be paid. And so there's no injustice going on here. Even though, let's be honest, we would struggle with something like that practically, right? If we were in that situation, we got to be honest about that. But here, the landowner, God is saying, look, didn't you agree for this? Yeah, we did agree for this. Then why are you complaining? Is it not lawful for me, verse 15, to do what I wish with my own things and on one hand that almost seems like this off-handed comment like well i can do whatever i want to do and don't argue with me <laughs> okay but i think there's something deeper going on here there, there there is okay so so the people that agreed to work for a day's wage got the day's wage there's no injustice there there's nothing unfair going on where where the imbalance comes in is on the side of generosity okay the imbalance comes in on the side of this landowner being so incredibly generous that, and as far as we know, there's no agreement with the other people that are hired. You will get what is right, I think is the phrase that is used or something like that, you know. And so this landowner decides to be so generous and give these people who worked less time exactly the same amount. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? That's actually a really good thing. It's actually a very giving thing and a very loving thing and a very gracious thing 
But what we have to understand the principle here is God rewards as he sees fit. It's not this thing of me going, well, I've served God longer than them. I serve in this capacity and I, I carry more weight than they do in terms of the church or the kingdom of God or the service of God. I should get more. No, no God. When we're thinking that way, we're thinking about ourselves, right? We need to leave this in the hand of God. He rewards as he sees fit. Secondly, attitude and motivation matter to God. And I mentioned just a second ago that we're thinking about ourselves, and this is what these people are doing, right? And, and so you back up to verse 10. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more because we worked more. They likewise received each a denarius. When they had received it, they complained against the landowner. That word complained, I'm not sure. If, I didn't check a lot of translations on this. Maybe it's a little bit different. But it literally means to grumble or to murmur. And it's, it's, it's this literal. It's like going up to someone and like whispering in their ear. <laughs> you know, there's a little, little murmuring, whispering sounds that go on. So you can just picture these guys that were hired at the beginning of the day and, and getting the same as the people that worked less than them being upset and getting into this little huddle and whispering in each, each other's ears and saying, this, this is so wrong. Like, how could he do this? And this sense of justice or a sense of injustice or whatever welling up inside of them because they thought they would receive more. And they were, are you ready for this word? They were jealous, right? They were envious because the focus was on themselves. Now, I, and I understand in a, in a work context, if you're an employer and you're hiring people and you do this kind of thing, I get where that's not going to fly very well with your employees, right? But we're, we're, what, we're think, what you have to understand here is that this parable is pointing to the kingdom of heaven, and God's work in the kingdom, and this is the principle, is reward that this is not simply just a story of people working and getting paid. There's more going on here. But through this parable and through this story, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying to Peter and all of the disciples and all of us, be careful about your attitude and your motivation in serving me. <laughs> Because we can so easily, can't we, brothers and sisters, get into a place in our service for God where we start to feel resentment towards others who maybe seem to be getting more than we do, whether it's recognition or whatever it is, and I feel like I'm, I'm not getting what I deserve, and they felt they deserve more, and you and I can get into that mindset too, right, where we feel like we deserve more. It's a trap. I think that all of us if, who are involved in serving the Lord have at times or moments where we have struggled with this. Maybe, maybe this is something for some of you that consumes you and it just grabs a hold of you. I'm going to get into that later on. But that's the second principle, attitude and motivation. God is looking at the heart. What is your motivation? It's not so much about the accumulation of what I've done for him. These guys could say, we worked 12 hours for you, Lord. This other guy only worked an hour. What is God looking at? He's looking at the heart and the attitude and the motivation. I'm convinced that the judgment seat of Christ, when you go there, if we were to go to 1 Corinthians 3 and look in there where it talks about gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble, I see in there a contrast in quality. 
And the wood, hay, and stubble probably is a bigger pile of stuff than the gold and the silver and the precious stones. But the gold and the silver and the precious stones, it survives the fire. The wood, hay, and stubble doesn't. And to me, that speaks of works being done for self or self-glory rather than being motivated for the love of God and to serve God. There's a warning in here. Third principle in this parable, none of us deserves anything. <laughs> I think for me, when I start feeling sorry for myself, and I do sometimes, and when I find myself going there, I need to come back to the cross. And I need to remind myself that I'm not deserving of anything. If I got what I deserved, I would be in hell. If we all got what we deserve from God, we would get his judgment. I want you to think about this landowner who has this vineyard. He's planted the vineyard. He's created it. He's made it. And I love what it says, the landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. He's seeking. <laughs> and, and I see a picture in that of the heart of God who has created us and created this world and created every one of us individually that in his grace and in his mercy, he has sought us and he has gone out and sought us and brought us in to serve him. We are the laborers in the vineyard, but it is the landowner's initiative that brings us there in the first place. If there's no landowner, there's no vineyard. If he doesn't reach out, there's no job for these guys, right? There's no reward. There is nothing. So what we have to come back to is it's all the initiative of God. His grace working in our lives. And we don't deserve anything. And if God did not reach out to us in grace and love and save us and bring us into his kingdom, we would be absolutely lost. So this is where we need to get to if we're struggling with our motive and our attitude in terms of serving God. I don't deserve anything. And so that anything that God gives me, I should be thankful for. Whatever blessing I receive in this life, I should be thankful Whatever I may receive someday when I'm standing before the Lord, you and I at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think when we're standing there in the presence of Jesus and he gives those rewards out, however that's going to look, however it's going to happen, that we're going to go, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> I, I got a book here of all my hours that I spent serving you. Here it is. And I did this and I did that. And this is what you're giving me. I don't think any of us are going to say that. I think all of us are going to be broken before him, humbled that he would give us anything. And if Revelation 4 is a picture of us before the throne in heaven, and I think it is, we see in there those representative elders, I think representing the church, the people of God, taking what? Their crowns, their rewards. And what are we doing with them? Casting them before him. We are not worthy. He is worthy. None of us deserves anything. So three principles, God rewards as he sees fit, not as we see fit. Secondly, attitude and motivation matter to God. Thirdly, none of us deserves anything. Let's keep going here. There's a warning, as I said, a warning and rebuke, and you find it twice. It's kind of like a bookends on the either end of this parable, right? And, and so the end of chapter 19, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Then Jesus tells the parable and you get to verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. It's reversed in order, but it's exactly the same principle. 
And like I said, it stands like bookends on either end. So, so clearly, in my mind, God is trying to send a message to Peter and the rest of the disciples as a warning and rebuke. What is this about? What is it that Jesus is saying when he says the first will be last and the last first? Sometimes we joke about that when we're standing in a lineup or something like that. Ha ha, the first will be last. <laughs> it's deeper than that. It's so much deeper. This is what I think it means, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is the principle that Jesus is getting at here, that those who think they are first, right, who want to be first, who feel that they deserve to be first, will be last. Now, I don't know what that means, practically speaking. We're talking about a context here, not of salvation and, and judgment. We're talking about a context here of reward, right? So, so maybe it means you're going to get a lot less than you think. If you think you deserve to be first. And, and the warning is, I think, in that be careful about your attitude, the pride the self-focus that can come into your life, this idea of entitlement that we can get sometimes in our thinking that I deserve more. Jesus says, if you're operating like that, you're going to be the last. But of course, the opposite of that is true as well, right? That those who think they are last, who want to be last, who feel that they deserve to be last, who are humble in their spirit and in their service for God will be first. Again, what is God looking at? He's looking at our heart. <laughs> It's not so much about the accumulation of all that we do for God. If you only knew all the things that, that we do for God, right? And, and this and that. That is not the thing that God is looking at. He's looking at our heart and the motivation of our heart is our motivation to serve him, to live for him genuine. And brothers and sisters, God knows. He knows what's going on in here. <laughs> and so, And so there is a obligation i think an encouragement a challenge to each of us to and 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 what by the way when i was studying this chapter this is like super convicting some sometimes when i'm assigned things to study and prepare for and you do and you go through it and i'm not saying it, it, it always you get a blessing out of it a challenge out of it this one like just hit me right between the eyes this week what is your motivation i'm talking about myself what is driving you to serve God? Is it for you or is it for him? And are, am I doing it with a spirit of humility and, and a servant heart? Because that is what God is looking for. There's another little incident that takes place here that ties into this whole parable and the principle that Jesus is laying down. Now, I called them mummy's boys, okay? Mummy's boys in verse 20. Mummy's boys, James and John. As far as we know, they were probably, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that John was the youngest of all of the disciples. And I have studied that. And, and there's not, you know, it's not like there's chapter and verse, but there's certainly a lot of clues that indicate that he was the youngest of all of them. So I think John's probably, you know, he may be a teenager. He may be 18, 19, maybe he's 20, but he's pretty young. And, and James is probably older, but we don't know how much older, but you, you've got, you've got the mom coming here to Jesus this is such an amazing thing. And, and so let me, let me just go back to verse 20. Let's read it again. The mother of Zebedee's sons, okay, came to him with her son. So that's James and John kneeling down and asking something from him. So she literally comes, gets on her knees before Jesus and, and asks him for something. And he said to her, what do you wish? 
She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Oh, that's no, that's no big deal, right? Sure, whatever you want, right? Now, now to me, that just cries, uh, cries about a lot of things, but, but, but it cries of this idea of entitlement or I deserve or I want or whatever. All, all that to me is stapled all over this, okay? And, and we don't know really the background to this. I mean, uh, was it the mom that was driving this? Do they still talk about tiger moms today? I don't even know if that's a term anymore, but the idea of the mom that's controlling and pushing and driving her kid. And, and was, was she, was it this mother that was driving this whole thing? Oh, I want my sons to be prominent. I don't want everyone to see them. And, and really they deserve to be on the right hand or the left hand of Jesus. Maybe because they're the youngest. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was mom that was driving this, right? It seems like it in this gospel when you read it. In I think Mark's gospel, it doesn't mention mom, it's James and John. So, so maybe, maybe it's James and John that are behind this whole thing. So my boys growing up, the girls I could talk pretty openly with me, but the boys, <laughs> if they wanted something from me, and they knew mm, dad might be a little iffy about that and like borrow the truck or whatever, or do something that, you know, as they got older and they wanted to do, they went to mom <laughs> and they would literally go to Jackie and they'd say stuff like this. What kind of a mood is dad in tonight? <laughs> like, is he, you know, and especially if they were in trouble, they would always go to mom first, right? And just kind of gauge the waters. Mom's the gentle touch or whatever, and going to be a little more patient with them maybe than dad. But if they wanted something from me, very often they'd go to Jackie. And it was just so crazy to see it. And she'd say, you got to go and talk to your dad. <laughs> so Anyway, and I don't know whether these boys are doing something similar. Is this James and John saying, Mom? Mom, could you talk to him? You talk to him. And they're a little nervous, right, about how he's going to, because maybe they know this isn't a nice thing to ask. And we're being, so, so, Mom, you go. We don't know whether it's Mom driving this, whether it's James and John driving this, whether it's all three of them conspiring together and thinking, hey, this would be so cool to be like left and right beside Jesus in the kingdom. Like he's on the throne, we're on either side. That would look so great. These two brothers, these kind of, you know, here they are. And so whoever is behind this, we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus told them something just before they asked for this. And it's in verses 17 to 19. And I want to read it again. So, so Jesus tells the parable, the warning, the, the last will be first, the first last. And then he says this, verse 17 says, Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road. James and John were among the 12. They were there. And he says to them, Behold, this, this is Jesus telling them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. And the very next thing that the disciples said is, Lord, we are so sorry for you. And we are thinking about you because you're going to die. And so we we just, what can we do for you, Lord? How can we serve you? No, 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 that's not what they did. 
And if you go to Mark's gospel, three times in there, I think it's in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus says something almost exactly the same as 17 to 19. And in every situation, when you look at it, what follows up after that is something selfish on the part of the disciples. It's like this went in one ear and out the other. They weren't listening. Or if they were listening, could we say that they didn't care? That they weren't taking it to heart? Could I suggest to you something else? Could I just suggest to you that they were so taken up with themselves, so taken up with themselves, that they couldn't see what was right in front of them, who was right in front of them, first of all, and what he was going to go through. And they missed it completely because all they're thinking about is themselves, themselves, me, us, the kingdom. We want to be on either side. They're thinking about a kingdom on earth, by the way. That was always the thing in the disciples' mind. Even when, we get, when you get to the book of Acts and Jesus is ascending to heaven and they're talking to him before he ascends and it's like, hey, hey, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Like, let, let's bring the kingdom now because we want all the glory and the power and we want all of that stuff. And Jesus basically says to them, mind your own business. It's not the time. And he gently kind of rebukes them there before he ascends. But they're always thinking about the kingdom on earth, right? And, and, they're, and we get it. We understand it because from their perspective, that's all they could see. And they couldn't see the bigger picture. Eventually, they would see it when the Holy Spirit of God come. But right now, they're thinking about earth. They're thinking about political favors and power. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Aren't we so glad we live in, you know, times where politics never plays into things in terms of favors and power? That is always the way the system of man works, always, Right? Go back to the Roman times, and that would be the context that Jesus is talking about when he, when he talks about the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. He says in verse 25, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. I don't want you to operate the way the system operates, but they're thinking in terms of a system. Well, you're the boss. <laughs> So you can put us right and left, right? You can do that for us. And, and it's in that way of thinking of political favors and power and influence that they're looking And the mom. It's mom. How can you say no to mom? I mean, there's mom on her knees. It, it, it's so blatant what's going on here, right? That's the mindset. And they're thinking about, as it emphasized, and we've emphasized prominence for themselves. It's about self. What is interesting is the response of the other 10. <laughs> you get to verse 24. And when the 10 heard it, they congratulated James and John. Oh, we're so happy for you, brothers. Yes. You get to be on the right hand, the left hand of Jesus. Praise God. It's so awesome the way God has blessed you and what he's doing for you. And we're so happy for you. And it was so smart of you to think about that and get ahead of us in the line and get that favor. No, 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 not at all. They responded the way, sadly, we would expect them to respond. When the 10 heard it, they were, translations vary here, but the New King James says, greatly displeased with the two brothers. I think that's an understatement, that they were greatly displeased. If you look up the meaning of that phrase and the words that are used there in the original language, I was looking it up this week and came across this definition out of one of the Greek dictionaries that I looked at, violent irritation 
Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced violent irritation. I'm not sure what level that is at. Is that like the level where you start to yell and scream? Is that at the level where you start to do things? That, I don't know what level, but it's violent. They were violently irritated that James and John dared to ask to be on the right hand and on the left hand of Jesus. Do you know why? Because James and John were motivated by self and the other 10 were motivated by self. And that's why they responded that way. Self-focus, this is so important, brothers and sisters. We know this, but let me say this to me, to you, to all of us. Self-focus always, always, always leads to conflict and division. To conflict and division. Every time, every time, every time there is a conflict between people, Somewhere in there, one of them at least is self-focused. Always, inevitably, self leads to conflict and division. And this is what is happening here as this kind of violent thing, this irritation explodes. And I suspect there's yelling and maybe, you know, raise voices. And I don't know how far this went. And then Jesus just steps in. And he says what, he, what we read earlier in verses 25 and 26. And he says, whoever desires, verse 27, to be first among you, let him be your slave. He just hits the self-focus right between the eyes with that statement. And he lays down a principle that revolutionized, <laughs> should have, does, can revolutionize the way we live our lives the way of the true servant. It's like Jesus takes the whole system and turns it upside down. Because the whole system is the people that are the greatest, the most, whatever, the wealthiest, the best looking, the most prominent, the most, they're, they're here, right? And everyone else kind of goes down this pecking order down the way, you know, the class system or whatever way we want to think about it. And the person that's doing the lowly job is like the least important person at all. And Jesus just takes that whole system and he turns it upside down. And he's not saying that the person who has got status and wealth, it doesn't matter. What he is saying really is what matters above everything is none of that. What matters is your heart and the attitude of your heart. It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great, the person that is proud, that is self-focused, that is about me, that wants the reward or the recognition or the prominence, all of that, if that's what's driving you, it shall not be so among you, but that person needs to be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Let me just, I'm going to throw another PowerPoint up here before I forget, because I might move past this and forget. Top five signs you are serving for self. Are you ready? Now you can do a self-evaluation here. Probably in your good moments, you don't feel these things, but maybe in your bad moments, you feel these things. So number one, you feel that you are not appreciated and no one notices or cares. Don't answer out loud, okay? But in your heart, have you struggled with that, right? And by the way, I could check pretty well every one of these at times. Secondly, you feel resentment over the demands that service places on you. Have you ever struggled with that? I'm doing and doing and doing it. Yeah. 
You are not happy when others in similar roles to, your, to you or yours receive appreciation or blessing. <laughs> Number four, you feel that you deserve more or have worked harder than others. That's the parable, isn't it? And then number five, you complain and have a bitter spirit. And that's in the parable too, right? It's a really good thing, isn't it, once in a while to do a heart check, right? To do a heart check, what is, what is my motivation? What is my focus? If I'm feeling those kinds of things, for sure my focus is on me. It's on self and what I think I deserve or what I ought to have. And, and, and Jesus, as I said, takes that whole system and that whole way of thinking and he turns it upside down. He says, no, don't, don't, don't live that way. Don't think that way. I, I want you to follow the example of myself. Verse 28. It's, it just, it, it, this, verse 28 just lands to me like a bomb, in a good bomb, <laughs> a calming bomb, if you will, in the midst of this fighting and this bickering and this stuff that's going on and these that are angry with each other and how dare you think that you're going to be left and right in the kingdom and what was said there and as jesus rebukes them for all of that he says to verse 20 just as son of man did not come to be served but to serve that's me and to give his life a ransom for many he's saying he's saying it's my heart to serve and here, here is, and, and where were they at in terms of their understanding at this point that they really get the full picture that he's the son of God. They certainly believed he was the Christ and they're coming to terms and I think they're believing it. Maybe they're there, but maybe they're still not there, whatever. But they certainly have an idea of who he is. And when he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, that would just be like a hush going, you know, the classic, you could have heard a pin drop. I think at that moment when Jesus said that, you could have heard a pin drop. If he will lower himself to serve and not be focused on himself, then how dare I think that I deserve more recognition or prominence or reward or whatever when he, the Son of God, the Savior, lowered himself like that. Jesus is the standard of the way of the true servant. We sang that beautiful song that Tom and Nora gave out, The Servant King. I don't sing that song very often. Every time I sing it, I think about Camp Galilee years ago. That was a song that we sang a lot at camp years and years ago. It's so powerful. I think of that line of the hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. And the message in that song, and it's just a song, but it draws out of these principles that we're looking at here in this passage. That person did that for me. What is my response to that? It can only be humility and brokenness, right? That I don't deserve anything. And if I can, I can be the lowest person in the kingdom to serve him, is it not worth it to serve him like that, to walk in the way of the true servant? May God challenge us in these things and speak to all of our hearts, myself first of all,
Father, we, we want to thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings. We thank you for the hope of heaven and eternal life. We thank you that there is reward. And Jesus did remind Peter of that and, and reinforce that. And, and so we're excited about that, Lord. And we look forward to that. But Father, that so easily and so subtly can become something that we become self-focused on. Our nature, our very nature is self-focused. We are proud. Um, we want recognition. We, we, we desire all of those things. And, and we struggle with that. Some of us struggle a lot with that. Maybe some of us not so much. But Father, all of us are touched by it in one way or the other. And then, Father, we come face to face with Jesus. And we see him. And we look at him. Father, help us to see him this morning. Help us to see him walking those roads, caring for people along the way, ministering to people that no one else cared about or really gave much thought to. We think of the little children that we talked about last week, his heart for them. We think of these two blind men that we didn't get to in the end of the chapter that would seem no one had much to do with, and yet here's Jesus responding to them and the lepers and the outcasts and the prostitutes, the people, the tax collectors, that no one else wanted to. We see the heart of the Lord Jesus, the servant heart, coming to the lowest place to care, to love, to redeem, to elevate these people, to bring them into a relationship with himself. And Father, that's us too, right? That's all of us. We are not worthy. We are not better. We are not more deserving than anyone else. And it's only in your grace that we stand before you and in your mercy. And we just thank you, Father, for that. And it is so humbling when we are there, when we can have our mind in that place to realize this is who we are and this is who our Savior is. And God, help us to keep that in our minds and in our hearts because we know, God, how easy it is to get focused on ourselves, to become like Peter, to become like James and John, to want the recognition, to want to feel sorry for ourselves, to complain about things. And God, I just pray that you would help me, Father, that you would help all of us to walk in the way of the true servant. We can't do that in our own strength, God. We can't do it in self. It's only your Holy Spirit through us that we can do that. And so we ask, God, that you would help us to humble ourselves, to yield ourselves, Father, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to live through us, Christ living through us. For your honor and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.